chapter one of sons of fire this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon chapter one a striking likeness the meet was at the pig and whistle at melbury nine miles off rather near meet compared with the usual appointments of the south sarum hounds the ostler remarked as alan carew mounted a hired hunter in the yard of the duke's head chief and indeed only possible inn for a gentleman to put up at in the little village of matcham a small but prosperous hamlet lying in a hollow of the hills between salisbury and andover he had only arrived on the previous afternoon and he was sallying forth in the crisp march morning on an unknown horse in an unfamiliar country to hunt with a pack whose master's name he had heard for the first time that day can he jump asked alan as he scrutinized the lean upstanding bay not a bad kind of horse by any means but with that shabby undergroomed and overworked appearance common to hirelings can't he sir there ain't a better leper in wiltshire and as clever as a cat we had a lady staying here in the winter mrs colonel parkin brought two acts of her own besides the colonel's two hunters and liked this ere horse better than any of em she was right down mashed on him as the young gents say i wonder she didn't buy him said alan she couldn't sir money wouldn't buy such a hunter as this off my master he's a fortune to us i hope i may be of mrs parkins opinion when i come home said alan now then ostler just tell me which way i am to ride to get to the pig and whistle by eleven o'clock the ostler gave elaborate instructions a public-house here an accommodation lane there a common to cross a copse to skirt three villages one church a post-office and several cross-roads you're safe to fall in with company before you get there concluded the ostler whisking a bit of straw out of the bay's off hind hoof and eyeing him critically previous to departure if i don't i doubt if i ever shall get there said alan as he rode out of the yard he was a stranger in matcham a foreigner as the villagers called such alien visitors he had never been in the village before knew nothing of its inhabitants or its surroundings its customs ways local prejudices produce trade scandals hates loves subserviencies gods or devils and yet henceforward he was to be closely allied with matcham for a certain bachelor uncle had lately died and left him a small estate within a mile of the village a relative with whom alan carew had held slightest commune lunching or dining with him perhaps once in a summer at an odd family hotel in albemarle street never honoured by so much as a hint at an invitation to his rural retreat and not cherishing any expectation of a legacy much less the bequest of all the gentleman's worldly possessions comprising a snug well-built house in pretty and spacious grounds with good and ample stabling and with farms and homesteads covering something like fifteen hundred acres and producing an income of a little over two thousand a year it need hardly be stated that alan carew was not a poor man when this unexpected property 
fell into his lap the children of this world are rarely false to the gospel precept to every one which hath shall be given allen's father had changed his name ten years before from bearsford to carew upon his succession to a respectable estate in suffolk an inheritance from his maternal grandfather old squire carew of fendyke hall millfield allen an only son was not by any means ill provided for when his maternal uncle admiral the honourable george darnley took it into his head to leave him his wiltshire property but this bequest raised him at once to independence and altogether dispensed with any further care about that gentlemanlike profession the bar which had so far repaid mr carew's collegiate studies labours outlays and solicitude by fees amounting in all to seven pounds seven shillings which sum represented the gross earnings of three years so riding along the rustic high road in the clear morning air under a sky of brightest sapphire just gently flecked with ragged cloudlets of fleecy white alan carew told himself that it was a blessed escape to have done with chambers and reading law and waiting for briefs and that it was a good thing to be a country gentleman to have his own house and his own stable not to be obliged to ride another man's horses even though that other man were his very father not to be told after every stiffish day across country that he had done for the grey or that the chestnut's legs had filled as never horse's legs filled before nor to hear any other reproachful utterances of an old and privileged stud groom who knew the horses he rode were not his own property henceforth his stable would be his own kingdom and he would reign there absolute and unquestioned he could choose his own horses and they should be good ones he naturally shared the common creed of sons and looked upon all animals of his father's buying as screws and duffers his own stables would be something altogether different from the drowsy old stables at home where horses were kept and cherished because they were familiar friends rather than with a view to locomotion his stud and his stable should be as different as if horses and grooms had been bred upon another planet he loved field sports he felt that it was in him to make a model squire albeit two thousand a year was not a large revenue in these days of elegant living and continental holidays and eclectic tastes he felt that among his numerous nephews old admiral darnley had made a wise selection in choosing him alan carew to inherit his wiltshire estate he meant to be prudent and economical he had spent the previous afternoon in a leisurely inspection of beechhurst he had gone over house and stables and had found all things so well planned and in such perfect order that he was assailed by none of those temptations to pull down and to build to alter and to improve which often inaugurate ruin in the very dawn of possession he thought he might build two or three loose boxes on one side of the spacious stable-yard there were two packs within easy reach of matcham to say nothing of packs accessible by rail and he would naturally want more hunters than had sufficed for the old sailor who had jogged out on his clever cob two or three times a week and had gone home early after artful riding and waiting about the lanes or to leeward of the great bare hills and in snug corners where a profound knowledge of the country enabled him to make sure of the hounds 
allen's hunting-stable would be on a very different footing and although beechhurst provided ample accommodations for a stud of eight allen told himself that one of his first duties would be to build loose boxes i shall often have to put up a couple of horses for a friend he thought the morning was lovely more like april than march the bay trotted along complacently neither lazy nor feverishly active but with an air of knowing what he had to do for his day's wage and meaning honestly to do it allan was glad that his road took him past beechhurst possession had still all the charm of novelty his heart thrilled with pride as he slackened his pace to gaze fondly at the pretty white house low and long with a veranda running all along the southern front admirably placed upon a gentle elevation against the swelling shoulder of a broad down facing southwest and looking over garden and shrubbery and across a stretch of common that lay sloping between beechhurst and the high road and gave a dignified aloofness to the situation seclusion without dullness a house and grounds remote but not buried or hidden nothing manorial about it mused allan but it certainly looks a gentleman's place he would naturally have preferred something less essentially modern he would have liked tudor chimneys panelled walls and a family ghost he would have liked to know that his race had taken deep root in the soil had been lords of the manor centuries and centuries ago when wamba was keeping pigs in the woods and when the jester's bells mixed with the merry music of hawk and hound admiral darnley so far as wiltshire was concerned had been a new man he had made his money in china speculating in tea-gardens and other property while pursuing his naval career with considerable distinction he had retired from active service soon after the chinese war a sea bee and a rich man had bought beechhurst a bargain during a period of depression and had settled down in yonder pretty white house with a small but admirable establishment each member thereof a pearl of price among servants and had there spent the tranquil eventide of an honourable and consistently selfish life he had never married as a single man he had always felt himself rich as a married man he might often have felt himself poor he had heard allan at five-and-twenty declare that he had done with the romance of life and that he too meant to be a bachelor and it may be that this boyish assertion carelessly made over a bottle of lafitte did in some measure influence the admiral's choice of an heir allan's father and mother were of a more liberal mind you are in a better position than your father was at your age said lady emily carew on her son's accession to fortune i hope you will marry well and soon there was no thought of woman's love or of married bliss in allan carew's mind as he rode through the lanes and over a common and across a broad stretch of open down to the pig and whistle he was full not of his inner self but of the outer world around and about him pleased with the pleasant country in which his lot was cast wondering what his new neighbours were like and how they would receive him i wonder whether the south serum is a hospitable hunt or whether the members are a surly lot and look upon every stranger as a sponge and an interloper he mused he had ridden alone for about half the way when a man in grey fustian and leather gaiters who looked like a small tenant-farmer trotted past him turned and stared at him with obvious astonishment touched his hat and rode on after a few words of greeting which were lost in the clatter of hoofs he had ridden right so far by the aid of memory he now followed the man in grey and taking care to keep this pioneer in view 
duly arrived at a small rustic inn standing upon high ground and overlooking an undulating sweep of woodland and common marsh and plain one of those picturesque oases which diversify the breadth of wind-swept downs the inn was an isolated building of the few labourers cottages within reach being hidden by a turn of the road hounds and hunt servants were clustered on a level green on the other side of the road but there was no one else upon the ground allan looked at his watch and found that it was ten minutes to eleven the man in grey had dismounted from his serviceable cob and was standing on the green sward talking to the huntsman huntsman and whip had taken off their caps to allan as he rode up and it seemed to him that there was at once more respect and more friendliness in the salutation than a stranger usually receives above all a stranger in heathercloth and butcher boots and not in the orthodox pink and tops the man in grey and the hunt servants were evidently talking of him as he sat solitary in front of the inn their furtive glances in his direction fully indicated that he was the subject of their discourse they take a curious interest in strangers in these parts thought allan two minutes afterwards a stout man with a weather-beaten red face showing above a weather-beaten red coat rode up with two other men evidently the master and his satellites hello cried the jovial man what the deuce brings you back so much sooner than mrs warnock expected you she told me there was no chance of our seeing you for the next year when did you arrive i never heard a word about it the master's broad doe-skin palm was extended to allan in the most cordial way and the master's broad red face irradiated kindliest feelings you are under a misapprehension sir said allan smiling at the frank friendly face amused at the eager rapidity of speech which had made it impossible for him to interrupt the speaker i have never yet enjoyed the privilege of a day with the south serum and this is my first appearance in your neighbourhood and you ain't geoffrey warnock exclaimed the master utterly discomfited my name is carew ah your voice is different i should have known you were not jeff if i had heard you speak and now of course when one looks deliberately there is a difference a difference which would be more marked i dare say if warnock were here are you a relation of warnock's i never heard the name of warnock in my life until i heard it from you well i'm dashed cried the master suppressing a stronger word as premature so early in the day did you see the likeness champion asked the master appealing to one of his satellites of course i did replied captain champion i was just as much under a delusion as you were and yet mr carew's features are not the same as warnock's and his eyes are a different colour it's the outlook the expression the character in the face that is so like our friends and i think that kind of likeness impresses one more than mere form and outline hang me if i know anything about it except that i took one man for the other said the master bluntly well mr carew i hope you will excuse my blunder and that we may be able to show you some sport on your first day in our country we'll draw well out wood hamper and if we don't find there we'll go on to holiday hill hounds and servants went off merrily across the down and dipped into a winding lane a good many horsemen had ridden up by this time with half a dozen ladies among them some skirmished across the fields others crowded the lane and in this latter contingent rode the master with his hounds in front of him and carew at his side are you staying in the neighbourhood he asked or did you come by rail this morning a long ride from matcham road station if you did 
i am staying at the duke's head at matcham but i only arrived yesterday i am going to settle in your neighbourhood indeed have you bought a place no ah going to rent one wiser perhaps till you see how you like this part of the country i've had a place left me by an uncle admiral darnley what are you darnley's heir yes by the by i heard that beatrice was left to a mr carew but i've a bad memory for names so you have got beechhurst have you i congratulate you a charming place compact snug warm and in perfect order stables a trifle small perhaps for a hunting man i am going to extend them said ellen with suppressed pride then you are going to do the right thing sir the only part in which beechhurst falls short of perfection is in the stables capital stables as far as they go but it isn't far enough for a man who wants to hunt five days a week and accommodate his hunting friends besides the owner of beechhurst ought to be in a position to take the hounds at a push i hope it may be long before that push comes said ellen ah you're very kind but i'm not so young as i was once nor so rich as i was once and the preacher says there's a time for all things my time is very nearly past and your time is coming mr carew when do you establish yourself at beechhurst i'm going back to london to-morrow to settle a few matters and perhaps have a look round at tattersall's and i hope to be at beechhurst in less than a fortnight i shall do myself the pleasure of calling upon you any wife i am still in the enviable position my uncle enjoyed till his death a bachelor ah that won't last long it's all very well for a sun-dried old sailor to keep the fair sex at arm's length but you won't be able to do it mr carew i give you till our next hunt-ball for a free man you've no notion what complexions our wiltshire women have devon can't beat em or what a lot of pretty girls there are within a fifteen-mile drive of matcham i look forward with a thrill of mingled rapture and apprehension to your next hunt-ball it'll be here before you know where you are we have postponed it till the first of may we shall kill our may fox on the thirtieth of april and dance on his grave on the first i shall be there my lord said alan as lord hanbury galloped off after his huntsman who had just put the hounds into the covert a whimper proclaimed that there was something on foot five minutes afterwards and the business of the day began a goodish day and a long one two foxes run to earth and one killed on the edge of twilight it was seven o'clock when alan carew arrived at the duke's head hungry and thirsty and not a little bored by having been obliged to explain to various people that he was no relation to geoffrey warnock he had been too much bored at this enforced reiteration to make any inquiries about this double of his in the course of the day or during the long homeward ride but when he had taken the edge off his appetite in his cosy sitting-room at the duke's head he began to question the waiter as he trifled with the customary hotel tart a hollow cavern of short crust enclosing a scanty modicum of bottled gooseberries do you know mr warnock yes sir know him uncommonly well wonderful likeness between him and you sir thought you was him till i heard you speak our voices are different i am told yes sir there's a difference it ain't much but it's just enough to make one doubtful like your voice is deeper and stronger than his and then after the first glance one can see it ain't the same face pursued the waiter thoughtfully you've got such a look of him you see sir that's what it is one don't stop to think of the shape of a nose or a chin it's the look that catches the eye i suppose that's what people means by a speaking countenance sir added the waiter garrulous but not disrespectful 
has mr warnock any land in the county asked allen land sir yes sir replied the waiter with a touch of wonder at being asked such a question mr warnock is lord of the manor of discombe sir a very large estate and a fine old house added to by mr warnock's grandfather the old part is very old sir and the new part is very fine and picturesque and the gardens are celebrated in these parts sir quite a show-place but mrs warnock never allows it to be shown she lives very secluded don't give no entertainments herself nor visit scarce anywheres they do say that she was not right in her mind for some years after mr warnock's birth but that's six-and-twenty years ago and there may not be any truth in the report ganga zorla sir or cheddar neither thanks are the warnocks an old family very old family sir old saxon name came over with edward the confessor and it was mrs warnock ah there's a little itch there sir nobody knows who mrs warnock was or where she came from and they do say she wasn't county which is a pity seeing that the warnocks had always married county prior to that marriage added the waiter proud of his concluding phrase mr warnock is abroad i understand where inja sir cavalry regiment the eighteenth south sarum lancers strange for a man owning so fine a property to go into the army well sir don't you see the life at the manor must have been a very dull one for a young gentleman no entertainments no staying company mrs warnock she don't care for nothing but music and after all sir music ain't everything to a young man he hunted and he hunted and he hunted from the time he ad legs to cross a pony wherever there was hounds to be followed he went with them but hunting ain't everything in life and it don't last long added the waiter philosophically mrs warnock as dowager should have withdrawn to her dower house and left the young man free to be as jovial as he liked at the manor ah that may come to pass when he marries sir but not before mr warnock is a devoted son he'd be the last to turn his mother out of doors and he's almost as keen on music as his mother i've heard say plays the fiddle just like a professional and the organ well sighed carew having heard all he wanted to hear i bear no grudge against mr geoffrey warnock because he happens to resemble me but i wish with all my heart that he could have made it convenient to live in any other neighbourhood than that in which my lot is cast that will do waiter i don't want any more wine you may clear the table and bring me some tea at nine o'clock the waiter cleared the table in a leisurely way made up the fire also in a leisurely way and contrived to spend a quarter of an hour upon work that might have been done in five minutes but allan questioned him no further he flung himself back in an easy chair with his slippered feet upon the fender and meditated with closed eyes yes it was a bore a decided bore to have a double in the neighbourhood a double richer more important and altogether better place than himself a double in a lancer regiment there is at once chic and attractiveness in a cavalry soldier a double who owned just the kind of fine old manorial estate fine old manorial mansion which he allen would have liked to possess beechhurst might be a snug little property the house might be perfection as lord hambury had averred but when a house of that calibre is said to be perfect the adjective really means anything more than a good kitchen and a convenient butler's pantry roomy cellars and a well-planned staircase whereas to praise a tudor manor-house implies that it contains a panelled hall and a spacious ballroom a library with a groined roof and a music gallery in the dining-room after hearing of warnock's old house built when the fight at bosworth was fresh in the memories of men and amplified by
by successive generations alan felt that beechhurst was distinctly middle class and that his sailor uncle must have been a poor creature to have found pride and pleasure in such a cockney paradise he jumped up out of his easy chair shook himself and laughed aloud at his own pettiness what an envious brute i am he said to himself i dare say when warnock comes home i shall find him a decent fellow and we shall get to be good friends if we do i'll tell him how i was gnawed with envy of his better fortune before ever i saw his face End of chapter one